here we are in Genesis, and, um, and we're going to jump into chapter 33. And last week, um, Pastor Phil kind of walked through chapter 32 and what was going on there. And, um, and so today we have this encounter with Jacob and Esau. But before we start looking at the text, um, I want to tell you a quick story about a different Jacob. And this guy's name was Jacob DeShazer, or DeShazer. He was an American fighter pilot, some of you might know this story, from World War II. He was actually involved in the air raids on Tokyo. And on one particular mission, his plane was actually unable to return back to the aircraft carrier um, because uh, his plane had run out of fuel, his and, and some other planes. And so he and some other pilots um, basically parachuted into what they thought was, was uh, territory um, that was controlled by, by the Chinese. But actually, the Japanese had invaded that area, and the Japanese controlled that area. And so they basically parachuted into enemy territory. Well, Jacob and his uh, uh, pilot friends uh, spent three years in a Japanese prison. The conditions that, that they experienced there were, were abusive, and uh, he and his friends endured a ton. And uh, there is actually you know, documentaries you can watch on this, on this story. And the hate that Jacob felt for his captors only increased throughout those years. And I can only imagine that kind of hatred. These, these two nations, um, the U.S. and Japan, had, had, um, had become bitter enemies. Um, you know, an attack on Pearl Harbor, the whole you know, Pacific conflict, and then you know, these, these you know, bombs that were dropped on, on, on Nagasaki and, and Hiroshima, and, and just a brutal war between, between two enemies and the tension there. And, and um, you know, I was thinking about that, but I was also thinking about this... this um, this hatred that must have been kind of building in him, uh, both from a distance, but also there in prison. And the story says that, you know, the, you know, the hatred he had for his own prison guards, just face to face, was intense. And I'm actually just going to put that story on pause for a minute, and we're going to get back to that story. But as we look at the book of Genesis this morning, um, let's look at a different Jacob. The Jacob you've been learning about here also had experienced hatred with his brother. And the, the hatred that Esau had towards his younger brother must have been intense. They were competitors from birth, and they were, and they were extremely envious of one another. Um, Jacob had deceived his older brother twice. You remember the story. Jacob, when he was born, he was grasping the heel of his older brother. And, and, and as Pastor um, Phil last week said, you know, he, he was given this name Jacob, which meant deceiver. That was his identity. This was the name that he, he carried with him. And he lived up to his name. He had stolen uh, the birthright and the blessing from his older brother Esau. And then he had fled. He had taken off. Esau was filled with such hate that, you know, Jacob takes off um, and to, his, to his relative Laban. And while he's away, he marries a couple of, of Laban's daughters and um, and there he was on, if you've walked through that, if you've read those stories, he was kind of on the a receiving end of a bit of deception on Laban's part. But now uh, many years had passed, and he was going to return to his father's land, to Isaac's land. And he was going to go back home. But Jacob has to prepare to meet his brother Esau. And last week, you know what he did, right? He put all of his flocks and his family on one side of a river, he heard that his brother Esau was coming at him with 400 armed men. And so I think he's, you know, he's freaking out. Jacob, um, you know, I don't, 
you know, it's interesting what was going through his mind, but here he is. He splits up his family into, into a couple groups, and, and he's got all kind of, he's sending peace offerings ahead of him and splitting his family into two, you know, just in case if his brother comes, he can take off with the other part of the family if one family is kind of captured. Um, it's a good husband. <laughs> and um, that night, on one side of a river, what happens? He, he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, and and, and it's this powerful moment. It's one of my favorite moments in Scripture. And actually, when Brad sent out the list, I was like, oh, I missed the good one <laughs> for one week. Um, but actually, it turns out this has been such a blessing to, to see what happens after this. And, and that night, there's been this wrestling. And, and then God asks him, you know, Jacob, what's your name? And here, Jacob is trying to force this blessing out of God. And what's your name? And it's this moment of true confession, right? It says, Jacob, deceiver almost as though he's kind of uh, uh, confessing his whole life in, in, in his name, right? Deceiver. And then God gives him a new name, right? And he gives him the name Israel. And it's this powerful moment. But the thing is, at the end of chapter 32, Jacob has still not met his brother, right? In a sense, in some ways, it seems like he's made peace with God, but his brother is coming with 400 men, Right? What happens? Will this, will this transformation that we learned about last week, will it have any effect on Jacob the next morning and on his relationship with his brother? So, if you have your Bibles, and on the screen there, um, let's turn to Genesis 33, and we're going to read uh, verses 1 to 11 this morning. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He has priorities here. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me. And I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Well, this morning, I'd like to ask the following question as we journey through this chapter. Just one question. How might the grace of Jesus inspire a great reversal in you? How might the grace of Jesus inspire a great reversal in you. So, Father God, I pray that you would 
inspire us to turn our lives around, to be, to be changed by your grace. God, I pray this morning that you would show us clearly the things we need to lay down, the confessions we need to make, the reconciliation that needs to happen in us, Father God. We give you all control to work and to convict in this room today. We thank you, Father. Amen. Well, I just wanted to, to share four things that jumped out of the passage when I was uh, 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 diving into it, when I was studying it these past few weeks. Four things. And the first thing was this idea of a great reversal. We see a great reversal happen in the life of Jacob. It's really interesting. Do you remember the moment years before when Jacob had stolen his father's blessing from his older brother? Remember that moment when their father Isaac believes he's actually blessing Esau? But when in reality Jacob was posing as his older brother? Remember that story? Well, listen to a portion of the blessing that, that Isaac is giving. Remember, Isaac can't see very well, so he thinks he's blessing Esau, but in fact, Jacob is kind of, you know, running the room and is, and is stealing this blessing. But here, here it is, verse 29 from chapter 27. Isaac says this, May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. And I remember thinking earlier in Genesis, this was so wrong. Do you feel that way when you first read this, when he stole it? This is so wrong. Does it really work this way? Can we, can we actually steal a blessing and a birthright? Now, what I just read was the blessing, like I said, that Isaac gives to Jacob, right? Thinking he was Esau. So technically, through deception, this should have been what is happening to Jacob. And later, we know it does happen to him, right? God is faithful, as you know. His name is, his, he's given this name Israel, and, he, and he's a patriarch of the faith, right? He's one of our fathers in the faith. And it's an amazing, huge story. But what's interesting about this passage, Genesis 33, is that the blessing is actually directed towards Esau. And Jacob seems to be the one doing the blessing. Do you see it? Well, check it out. Isaac says in verse 29, may nations serve you. Well, who's serving who? Listen, look at verse 5 from chapter 33. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Who is serving who here? Isaac had also said in his prayer, may nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Well, look at verse three. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his, his brother. Who is doing the bowing in this passage? Isaac had also said, be Lord over your brothers. Well, look at verse 8. Esau asked, what do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. <laughs> Who's calling who Lord 
in the relationship. And finally, Isaac had said, may those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Well, look at verses 10 and 11. No, please, said Jacob, if I found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you've received me favorably, please accept the present that I that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. So my question is here, here is who's getting blessed? So when I look at this, who's serving who? Who's doing the bowing? Who's calling who Lord? Who gets blessed? It's actually Esau. Do you see that? I had never seen that before. It's this great reversal. Earlier in the story, Jacob steals it, but Esau receives it, receives this blessing from his brother. It's powerful. He's the one, Jacob, who ends up bowing down. He's the one who ends up serving. He's the one who ends up blessing his older brother Esau. I mean, what kind of change had happened in Jacob that all of a sudden he is reversing this blessing, this thing that he's stolen? He's, he's, he's giving it back right, to his older brother. And the best part about it is that he does it with joy. Jacob is eager to do it. He's not being forced. God's mercy got a hold on his life, and he's pleased to bless his older brother. It doesn't look like anyone's, you know, kind of twisting his arm in the back. Esau doesn't have to force anything from his younger brother. Isn't that amazing? You know, something deep inside Jacob has changed. It's it's as though he's repented and fully turned 180 degrees, willing to bless his older brother with joy. What he once stole from his brother, he now lavishes on his brother. A great reversal. So number one, a great reversal. The second thing I noticed when looking at the passage was the prominence of God. Jacob cannot stop talking about God. Listen to this, verse verse 5. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, they're the children God has graciously given your servant. Verse 10. No, please, said Jacob, if I've found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Verse 11, please accept the gift that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Okay, if you're thinking about Jacob's life, for years, where did Jacob find his hope? In his hands, in his intellect, in his deception. For years, who do you think Jacob gave credit to for his success. Well, maybe to God verbally, but his lifestyle shows and proves that he was probably giving credit to himself, his cunning, his ways. Yet here, after he encounters God's grace twice, right? Once the night before when he wrestles with God, and secondly when he encounters his brother this this morning, He can't stop giving God the glory. The weight has been lifted from his shoulders. He's been purged. And now he cannot boast in any ability or status. He realizes 
that he has got nothing to boast in except God alone. What does this say to you? What does this say to me? What is giving and taking credit for things in your life? What, what does that look like for you? Are we addicted, are, are we addicted to, to getting credit for stuff? Or has the grace of God reversed that in us so that all credit belongs to him, to God? So let's recap. Number one, there was a great reversal of bowing, serving, and blessing. Number two, Jacob sees God everywhere and gives all credit to God. Number three, grace led to extravagance. Grace led to extravagance. Um, If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn um, just a few chapters before to, to chapter 28, verse 20 to 22. This is a really interesting passage. Um, this, is a, this is Jacob at his, at his salesman best, I think, here. Listen to this, verse 20 from chapter 28. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. <laughs> He's making deals with God. He would make God Almighty his God. And he'd give him back a tenth in exchange. Interesting. You know, to me, it sounds a little bit like a transaction. I'll give you this. You give me that. And the interesting thing is God is loving. I mean, it doesn't seem that, um, you know, it doesn't seem like Jacob gets pounded here for doing this. But his relationship with God in chapter 33 looks very, very different. Here in chapter 33, I noticed how extravagant Jacob's love had become. He freely gives to Esau. He lavishes Esau with more than Esau needs. And at the end of chapter 33, Jacob sets up an altar to the God of Israel in worship. Jacob is just willing to give tons of stuff away to his brother. What once sounded like a transaction had become a relationship. What once sounded like a transaction had become a relationship. When people encounter the mercy, love, and grace of God, extravagant giving happens. Generous giving happens. It was cool this morning to hear from Keith that that's your core value for today, right? Generous giving all of a sudden happens. It's just natural. And when I was preparing here, I thought of the New, Te- of the New Testament, and I thought of the story of, of Zacchaeus. And in Luke 19, you don't have to turn there, there's the story of Zacchaeus. He's, he's a tax collector. And listen to, listen to this encounter he has with Jesus. Jesus enters Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig fig tree to see him, but Jesus was coming that way, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus, here it is, here's the transformation. He stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. It's powerful. With Zacchaeus, grace led to generous extravagance. Jesus came to his house. And all of a sudden, he just wants to give his money away. Right? I'll pay back people. You know, the goodness of Christ coming to eat with me in my house. It's powerful. And the same thing happens with Jacob. Grace led to generous extravagance. See, Jacob can't help it. He's been touched by God. Life no longer functions in the categories that he once knew. Life no longer is measured and quantified. Grace and generosity is poured out in thanksgiving to God. So let's recap again. Number one, there was a great reversal in bowing, serving, and blessing. Number two, Jacob sees God everywhere and gives all credit to God. And number three, grace leads to extravagance. Finally, fourth point. Did you notice the face of God in this passage? This is kind of connected to the second point that I made earlier, but I think it deserves kind of a special moment here, special attention. I think this is truly the center of the passage. As Jacob can only see God, in all of this. It's God who's restoring him. It's God who's welcoming him. It's God who's embracing him. It's God who's kissing him. The fascinating thing here is that Jacob sees God in his brother. When his human reconciliation happens, he can see God clearly. Think of our own lives. How hard is it to worship God when we're in a fight with a friend, a coworker, a family member? But when you're reconciled with family or friendships, what happens suddenly? All of a sudden, you can hear God again. You feel close to God again. You feel like worshiping again. I work with high school students all the time who say, like, I haven't heard from God in forever, Right? And, you've, and, you, and you start digging a little bit deeper, and they're saying, well, yeah, I'm, just, I'm fighting with my friends, or I'm fighting with my parents. And all of a sudden, when you see those things kind of smooth out, and all of a sudden, they're loving the Lord, right? And they're worshiping, and they're passionate for prayer, and you're like, whoa, you know? How might the grace of Jesus inspire a great reversal in you? Well, for the, uh, for the keeners in the room, how many of you, as you've been, um, as we've walked through this passage, have been hearing echoes of a New Testament story in all this? You know, it was cool. Actually, I got together to meet with Keith for coffee in preparation for this, and we were both just talking, and I think we both had kind of a light bulb moment where we realized, this sounds a lot like a New Testament story, right? How many of you hear the story of the prodigal son when we're, when we're sharing about Jacob and Esau. It's interesting. It's this beautiful painting here. Um, 
And uh, I just think it's, it's awesome. And when you look at this painting, you know, there's Jacob and there's Esau. And you see the face of Esau, right? You see the face of God there. But when you look at it, I also see the story of the prodigal, right? This, this embrace that happens. And when I started looking a little bit deeper, I started noticing many similarities. First of all, both stories have younger sons who wander. Both stories have a son who shames their father. Both stories have a son who flees to another land. Both stories have sons who set out to return home. Both stories include a younger son trying to appease the person that's running towards them. Both stories include a warm embrace from someone that's running to them. And I want you to hear the language that's used. So similar. Listen to this, Genesis 33, 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. Luke 15, 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Both stories see radical grace showering the younger brother that's returned. And finally, both stories have an older son, an older brother, who must make a decision about how they're going to welcome their younger brother. But there's one difference in the two stories. Esau, the older brother, comes running to Jacob. Yet what about the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son? Do we know? Did did he ever enter the party? We don't know. Jesus doesn't answer the question. But as you might know, Jesus is telling this story to religious leaders and Pharisees in the New Testament. And they, kind of representing the older brother, are left with a looming question. As Jesus is inviting sinners into a banquet, what about them? Will they enter? Will they rejoice with a lost son who's coming home? And I can't help but wonder if Jesus is using this story of reconciliation in Genesis to teach the Pharisees and religious rulers of his day what it means to welcome home a sinner, what it means to welcome home your brother. It's as though Jesus is saying, remember the older brother, Esau. Remember the way he had been wronged? Remember the older brother's hatred? Remember the way the older brother had been swindled? Well, remember the other brother's embrace. Esau had forgiven. Esau loved despite the circumstances, despite the history. A great reversal had happened in Esau and in Jacob. You know, the text doesn't say much there, but something must have happened in Esau's life where there was a great change in his life. We see here in the parable with Jesus, even the father who's been shunned, even God himself is willing to make peace. So what about you? Well, this story is is deeply a personal one for me. And And maybe like some of you guys, I 
um, I identify with that older brother. And um, let me tell you a little bit about my younger brother. His name's Nathan. My younger brother lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's an artist, a painter, a musician. He's a free spirit, you know. He, he moves like the wind, kind of from one artistic project to another. He hasn't been to church in years and asks tough questions about faith whenever we're together. He loves Jesus, I think, but he definitely doesn't like church. And if you ever met my brother Nathan, he, he would probably pull up a chair next to you, listen to you. If you smoke, smoke a cigarette with you and love you. He's my younger brother. And here I am. And I've worked hard. And I have degrees in theology. And I work at a church. And I'm going on a mission trip. And I'm married. And I've settled down. I'm working hard here. Where's my blessing? I'm the older brother. I'm checking boxes off. I'm trying to do things right. And our parents love us the same. And if this great reversal has truly happened in me, how do I live in light of the mercy of God? If this great reversal has truly happened in in me, how do I live as a faithful older brother to Nathan? Will I be an older brother who seeks to win his affection by his profession? I hope not. Or will I be an older brother who is on his knees in prayer for my younger brother? Will I be an older brother who realizes that I have never and will never be able to buy or earn my parents' love? Will I be an older brother who's touched by the grace of Jesus? Will I be the first one running out to meet my brother in an open field as I see him walking towards Jesus? Coming home. Will I be an older brother who enters the party and celebrates the return, just like Esau? (laughs) Do you see what's happening? (laughs) Not only does a great reversal need to happen in the younger brother, but it needs to happen in the older brother as well. How many of us might miss the banquet because we've not fallen on our knees and allowed him to change us, renew us, restore us? So I ask it again. How might the grace of Jesus inspire a great reversal in you and I? So to summarize, God had a plan for Jacob. Jacob spent his life stealing and deceiving others to gain what he had. When he had nowhere else to turn, Jacob realizes his need for God and the end of his self-sufficiency. God had huge things in mind for Jacob and his descendants, but he needed to humble Jacob on his way home. He needed to purge Jacob of his sin, that he was not going to get what he wanted through deception. 
And once Jacob experiences the humbling mercy of God to see Esau was like seeing God himself. A great reversal had happened. What Jacob had stolen, he now gives back freely to Esau. He bows down to Esau and he reverses the wrong. Grace led to the restoration of family and land, a reversal of blessing and praise and glory to God. It's just powerful. And the cool thing is he's no longer grasping or deceiving, but he's lavishing his love on his older brother. That's what grace and mercy do to us. So what do we do? <laughs> how, do we, how do we apply this to our lives? And, well, I don't have any points, but I have a few questions. When I think of my own life, How are we living a life of worship that magnifies the Lord for the way he's lavished his love on you? Has this mercy led you to generous living? Has this mercy led you to serving the poor? Has it given you a heart for justice? Has it birthed in you a passion for the lost? Are you becoming more loving? Is your heart growing more and more tender to the presence of God? Have you picked up a phone to call and apologize? Has your cynicism turned to compassion? Has your sarcasm turned to encouragement? Are you likely to hold on to things or to freely give things away? Are you finding that you shed tears in worship more than you used to? Is your heart strangely warmed by the presence of Christ as you read scripture? Do you grow in your passion to be hospitable to the unloved? Do you grow in your hatred towards sin? Do you have a passion for the broken, the burned, the burned out, the beat up, and the lonely? Do you dream of ways to extend grace to your neighbors in your own life? Have you embraced your brother or your sister recently. How might the grace of Jesus inspire a great reversal in you and I? Well, to end this morning, I want to go back to the story I started with. Jacob, the pilot, who's in prison. Well, Jacob, the World War II pilot, he lost a friend while he was in prison. His friend had been a Christian. Jake, Jacob wasn't. Somehow Jacob got a hold of a Bible while in prison, and all of the prisoners began to read it. And, G and Jacob gave his life to Jesus in that prison. Because of Christ's forgiveness and transformation in his life, Jacob began to be transformed in the way he saw the Japanese prison guards and soldiers, almost as though a new lens had been placed in front of his eyes. This is a quote from Jacob. Suddenly I discovered that God had given me new spiritual eyes. And when I looked at the Japanese officers and guards who had starved and beaten me and my companions so cruelly, I found my bitter hatred for them changed to loving pity. I realized that these Japanese soldiers did not know anything about my Savior 
and that if Christ is not in a heart, that it would be natural to be cruel. A great reversal started happening in Jacob's life. Jacob was freed at the end of the war, and he decided to become a missionary in Japan. So he flew back to Japan and he, in the year 1948. The Japanese were impressed by a preacher whose hate had turned into love. Even some of the guards, the prison guards, responded to his message of the love of Christ. Yet the most unlikely of traveling companions became Mitsuo Fushida, a Japanese pilot who had once led the attack on Pearl Harbor. After the war in 1950, through Jacob's ministry, Fushida responded to the gospel and gave his life to Christ. (laughs) So here they are, both former pilots, former war heroes, leaders in bombing campaigns to the opposite country for opposing armies. They joined forces to preach the radical love of Christ. So for the final time, how might the grace of Jesus inspire a great reversal in us? I'd like to invite the worship team up. And, um, and as they come, I just want to maybe give a, a prayer kind of over you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus allow you to see the face of God in your enemy. And may he refine you even though it hurts, that you may turn and bless the world around you with the same grace that has captured you.